first reading this morning is from Exodus. Exodus 12:21-28. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel together and said to them, Go, pick out a lamb or young goat for each of your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Drain the blood into a basin, then take a bundle of hyssop branches and dip it into the blood. Brush the hyssop across the top and sides of the door frames of your houses. And no one may go out through the door until morning. For the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame, the Lord will pass over your name, your home. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. Remember these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. Then your children will ask, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. And though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. When Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshipped. So the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded through Moses and Aaron. Please sit down. Our second reading today is taken from Mark chapter 5 verses 1 to 20. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasen. There we are, that too. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains, and shackles, as he often was. He snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he went wandering among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. 
Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send him to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and emptied, entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed at what he told them. May God bless us for his word today. Amen. morning nice to see you all I'd like to say I really missed you last Sunday but you know maybe the feelings mutual I don't know well as you've already realized we're starting a new little sort of series that will take us up until about advent time because it's getting that time of year did you realize it's not gonna be long it's not going to be long. Uh, your story, my story, his story. So, hopefully it will become clear what that is all about as we kind of... Oh. Um, can we... Uh, is it possible that... Sorry? It's gone. Oh, don't worry about it. Try that. There you go. I want one back from that, though. That's the one I want. That's lovely. Thanks, Malcolm. So, hopefully, it will become a little clearer as we talk a little bit this morning as to what this is all about, really. One of the privileges uh, that I've always found in, in any, with, with everything that I've done, really, as, as work, whether I was nursing or within ministry, one of the great privileges that has been mine has been the fact that within both of those sort of areas of work, I get to hear people's stories. I get to become a part 
of people's stories in some way or another. And it is an incredible privilege to be able to hear other people's stories, to get to, to know what's happened in their lives and the journey that they've been on. That's a privilege. It's a wonderful thing to be able to uh, be a part of and to hear. That's probably why I very much like this program on the telly. If you watch this program, who do you think you are? I kind of like it. I like it because there are people that you look and you think, oh, I know about them. And then when you watch the program, you realize that you didn't <laughs> because you learn new things about them. And in fact, they learn new things about themselves, don't they? Because they look into like where they've come from, the stories of their family. Now, uh, the last series, which I think... Uh, was probably running around the time we were moving, so I didn't watch as many of them as I probably would have liked to have done. Um, but Dev Griffin was on that. Now, do you know who I'm talking about when I talk about Dev Griffin? Oh, dearie me, honestly, honestly. Dev Griffin's a DJ. There's Dev. He's on Radio 1 Extra. See, you're all Radio 2 lot, aren't you? Is that what it is? Or as my kids call it, no mum, they're probably listening to a t the radio bore that you listen to. Um, anyway, Dev Griffin, I like Dev. I think he's a fantastic character. He's been DJing since he was about 16. Now you might remember him if you watch Strictly. How many watch Strictly? Yeah, you see, you all watch Strictly, don't you? He was on Strictly Come Dancing in 2019. I think he was partnered with Diane, the Australian. Anyway. This chap, Dev, he was brought up in a single-parent home by his Irish mum, and he speaks on this programme about how he's only recently, really, reconnected with his Jamaican dad. And he ends up in the programme making his first ever trip to Ireland, where he finds out some of the stories of his family, of how they've been quite instrumental in in maintaining the culture uh, of, of the Irish culture and the language, of how they had fought for independence. So that's his, his, his family were all caught up in that. And then he made a trip to Jamaica in the programme and he met his aunt for the very first time. And he finds out all about his family's links to a local Baptist church, through the lives of his great-grandparents. It was really interesting. But it was at the end of all of this that it just got me thinking. Here is a bloke who, at the end of this journey, was able to say, I really feel and I know that I am Irish, and I really feel and know that I am Jamaican. Now, I think that's some statement to make when you think about it. After all, Jamaica and Ireland are rather different places, aren't they? I mean, they are a world apart these two places. And he'd visited both. He'd been in the cold, wet island of Ireland, but he'd paddled in the warm of the Caribbean Sea in Jamaica, two places so different in so many ways, and yet both of them linked and connected perfectly in his story, in who he was and who he is. And this got me thinking, it got me thinking because when we look around at the world we're living in today, when we see the news on the TV or we listen to it on the radio or we read it in the paper, if we still take a paper, it seems to me that many people in the world today, the things that characterise the stories of their lives and their living 
are things like fear and loss and hopelessness and debt and evil influences and unemployment, addictions, illness, despair, broken relationships, fighting, hostility, selfishness, individuality, isolation. I mean, the list goes on, but let's not go on because we want to be home in time for lunch, don't we? But the list goes on. And yet when we come aside from the world as people who are journeying with Jesus, we come into this place this morning, we are reminded of God's story. And we know that we're in this, you know, here and not yet kind of place with the kingdom of God. But we know that God's story promises in the future that that we are going to be able to experience things like love and peace and grace and forgiveness and new beginnings and security and acceptance and rescue and hope. You see, it strikes me that the story of God and the stories of those who live without or with little regard for God, for whatever reason, are quite different. They are characterized by such different things. They're so far apart from one another. It's like they are as distant from Jamaica um, as Jamaica is from Ireland, or as it must have seemed, a universe apart. And yet, despite that distance, these people, I believe, need God somehow need to be connected with God, introduced to God in the person of Jesus. And in some way, their stories need to be connected with his. How is it possible that that can happen? How is it possible? But this morning, I want to suggest to you that it is possible because of you, because of each one of us, that every individual here, our story can be the missing piece In the same way that maybe Dev realized in him, in his story, these two incredibly distant places are connected perfectly. I'd like for each one of us here to maybe realize that in us, in you, because each of you maybe has a story to tell, you also are the means through which and through whose stories seem so far apart from God can be connected with his. Why? Well, very simply, I think maybe each one of us knows what it's like to live lives where maybe we've not acknowledged God, where we haven't known what it's like to walk with Jesus in any way. Um, Maybe, as the Bible would say, maybe we're lost. Our stories, therefore, in some ways, at some time, will have connections with those who today live apart from God's story, who don't know who Jesus is for them. And yet we know, therefore, what it's like to live in relationship with God as well, so we can connect our stories with God's story. You see, me and you, we can make connections between the stories of those who live apart from God and connections with God's story. We're the link between the two. Our stories can bring the two together, if you see what I mean. And this is why I believe that time and time again within the Bible, we see evidence that suggests that we should be a storytelling people. We should be ready to tell the story. Right back at the time, just before the Exodus, we heard um, from our first reading um, that we could hear how everything was going to be reenacted within the celebration of Passover. It served as a means for the story to be retold and for people to find their space and place in that story. When your children ask, why on earth are you doing this? Tell them. Tell them the story. Tell them the story of God's rescue, of how the Lord passed over the houses of the Israelites. You see, the Israelites were to be a storytelling people. They were to tell the story of God's rescue. Stories, you see, are not shaped by people. 
I think people are shaped by stories. Terry Pratchett said that, but I think I agree with him. People are shaped by stories. And in that story in Mark's Gospel, which I have to say I really love that story in Mark's Gospel that we just heard, this man chained up by the people of the town in the cemetery because quite frankly they are scared of him and they do not know what to do with him. And he alone is the welcome party for Jesus when Jesus arrives at the Gerasenes. I, 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 maybe it's just because, you know, my sense of humour. It always amuses me that people go to tell the people in the town that this massive herd of pigs has run down a hill and um, drowned in a lake. Because I don't know whether you know anything about pigs. My granddad was a pig farmer. Pigs are very noisy. They wouldn't really have had to have told anybody what was going on. A thousand pigs hurtling down a steep bank and falling into the river. I'm sure they knew what was going on before anybody got there to say, oh, by the way, if you heard a noise at around 11 this morning, there was this massive herd of pigs. I find it really interesting, though, that as the townspeople come to see and they find this once possessed chap dressed and in his right mind and having a great chat with Jesus, that they immediately say, we'd actually like you to leave, Jesus. We'd like you to go. It's one of the saddest verses, isn't it? They urged him to leave them. But it also doesn't surprise me that as Jesus is getting into the boat, this chap, who'd been so lost and discarded, and yet who upon meeting with Jesus has had his life turned around completely and changed, never to be the same again, desperately wants to go with Jesus. Who wouldn't? Why would you want to stay with a group of people that had kept you chained in the graveyard? And I've always found it strange, therefore, that Jesus says, no, no, I don't want you to come with me. I think it's harsh. It seems very unpastoral of Jesus to say that, I think. Surely Jesus would have said, yeah, of course you can. Come and be with me. Come and be with my circle of friends because, my goodness, you've had a really rough time. You've been dealt a really bad card. You people have treated you so badly. But he says, no, you are not to come with me. You are not. Rather than you come and get immersed in a new social circle, I'm giving you a new imperative, new command, really. I'm wanting you to go and share your story. Don't come with me. Go and tell the story of what's happened to you. Go and tell people about what Jesus has done for you and the change that he has made in your life. He didn't tell him to preach. Notice, he didn't say to him, you've got to explain all of the theories of the atonement or anything like that. You've just got to tell your story. He doesn't have to explain why suffering exists. He doesn't have to understand all the world's religions. He doesn't have to understand all of the great mysteries of life. He simply has to go and tell his story. Go home. Go to your family. Go to your community. Go to your village. Go to your town. Go to your neighborhood and tell your story. And that's exactly what he does. Exactly what he does. This man who has had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ goes and tells everybody about it. He tells everybody in his sphere of influence what's happened to him. And the people are amazed, it says. They're amazed because his story is connecting their stories with God's story. And this connects them, therefore, 
with God's story too, do you see? It's a bit reminiscent of the story of the woman at the well in John 4. She has an encounter with Jesus. She races back and tells everybody. And they believe, we're told, because of her story. They believe who Jesus is because of her story that has connected with theirs and connected their story, therefore, with the one about Jesus. Now, I don't know, we were talking actually this morning a bit about jury service. I have very interesting conversations before the service, you know. Jury service. I don't know whether anybody's ever done jury service. I've done. I have. It was, uh, it was quite an insight, let me tell you. Um, but in, when you go into a court of law uh, where truth is to be established, you'll find people like this, you know, the little wiggy people. Defence lawyers, I think they're called. Actually, that's the uh, proper name for them. Defence and prosecution lawyers. And, you know, in that place where truth is to be established... These people, their job, their role is to find weaknesses and flaws in opposing arguments and to pull, up, pull the evidence to pieces. That's what their job is in that place where truth is to be established. But you also find there are other people that seem a little bit more normal because they don't wear those daft wiggy things on their heads and they are the witnesses. And the witnesses in that place where truth is to be established are there simply to do what? To tell their story. They're just there to tell their story. They're there to say what they saw and what they heard. And you know, far too often, when we come to think about evangelism, which none of us like to think about because we all believe that we need to have had our embarrassment glands removed to be able to take part in any form of evangelism, we often... I think, get this completely the wrong way round. Because we often, I think, when it comes to evangelism, take on the role of a lawyer rather than a witness. We get it completely screwed up the wrong way round. We think that evangelism, about telling Jesus at others, we take the role of the lawyer because we either attack, you know, giving it to them full on, bashing around the head with the Bible, or we get really defensive when they don't seem to understand what's going on and they seem to not get it at all and they seem to not be very respectful of our beliefs. Either way, it isn't great. Evangelism is about being a witness. It's not about being a lawyer. There are some who are called, I think, to be lawyers, the apologists, the theologians, some preachers and teachers, but I do believe this one thing. Every single one of us is called to be a witness. You can't get out of that. Every single one of us who is following Jesus is called to be a witness. We are called to tell our story. We are called to be a storytelling people. Psalm 96, if you read it from the message, says, Sing God a brand new song, earth and everyone in it. Sing and shout the news of his victory from sea to sea. Take the news of his glory to the lost. The news of his wonders to one and all. And look at how the early church did it. They did it. They're all bursting to tell the story of Jesus and what he's done. They can't shut up about it. Even when they're threatened with death. When Peter's brought before the council in Acts 4, he makes it pretty clear, despite all the threats, he's just going to keep on telling the story because he can't stop himself from telling the story. He can't stop himself from witnessing and telling the story of what Jesus has done. So what about us? What about us? Why is it that at times we will find it so difficult to tell and so easy to keep quiet? 
Why is it that on the whole, we are not bursting to tell in the same way that maybe members of the early church were? Well, I think sometimes it's because we think that maybe we don't have a story. I don't really have a story. And maybe that's right for some of you here this morning. Maybe you can say with all honesty, actually this morning, I've never really discovered the connection between my story and the story of God's rescue in the person of Jesus. Maybe you've never experienced the transformation that knowing Jesus brings. Maybe you think, well, I did have a story to tell, but it doesn't really seem all that alive and, you know, real now. It's a bit stale. If somebody asked me what difference has Jesus made this week, I might go, well, I don't really know. But about five years ago, something really great happened. You think, what's the point in telling people about something that happened years ago? What is the point? It's a story that doesn't impact me today. Or maybe it's the case that you might have, ha- have an ever-increasing desire Oh, sorry, I've completely lost my place. Maybe it's the case that you think my story actually doesn't have a lot of God's story in it. My story don't seem to have a lot of God's story in it, so there's nothing really to tell. My prayer is that we we might have an ever-increasing desire to connect our stories with the story of Jesus as we consider what it means for us to be a storytelling people over the next few weeks. Because I believe it's God's desire that each one of us, all of us, should have a current and real and dynamic story to tell. Because we've encountered Jesus and we've received from God stuff beyond our imaginations, beyond what we could experience or what we thought we could experience, beyond what we could have earned. I just want to say though, if any of what I've just said has struck a chord with you, if you want to know more about how to connect your story with God's story and the story of Jesus, and you want to make a personal decision to do that, or if you would value somebody praying with you, or that you would like to sit and talk with somebody about that, please don't leave here this morning before you do that. Go sit over in that little corner there where the cross is, and somebody will be able to speak with you this morning or pray with you this morning. So we think maybe there's, we haven't really got that much of a story to tell. That's why we don't tell our story. Or maybe we say, well, actually, I don't think my story is really very interesting. Well, do you know, as you know, I do come from Norwich. Quite honestly, I think in Norfolk, that is what we would call a load of old squit. <laughs> in other words, it's nonsense. Absolute nonsense when you think that actually I haven't got a story to tell because it's not very interesting. Because do you know what? I think we spend so much of our time talking every day about stuff that's happened to us, stuff that's going to happen, stuff we wished had never happened. We engage in storytelling every day of our lives. We tell the stories of our homes, our relationships, our workplaces, our kids, our grandchildren, you name it, we speak about it. 99% of the time, we're not really putting the world to rights at all. We're just chatting about ordinary, everyday stuff. So when we say our story isn't very interesting, it would seem to me we spend a heck of a lot of our time either talking or listening to incredibly uninteresting stuff. Don't you think? And yet your story is going to have an extraordinary dimension to it as well. Because in and amongst all the everyday stuff is the story of your believing and coming to know Jesus. The story of darkness to light. Do you know, in my formative years as I was growing up, obviously not that long ago, um, I was a member of, or I was a part of an Assemblies of God Pentecostal church. Crazy. Yeah. Wild. No safe, charismatic stuff was going on there, I tell you. Now, part of the 
part of the part of the tradition of that church is that there was testimony time very regularly I heard some stuff that I don't think my parents really ever wanted me to know was going on in the world in those times it was great it should have had like a a rating on it like a film or something I think some of the stuff I had I was like well I never knew that I never knew that sort of stuff went on anyway all I'm saying is in this testimony time as I grew up I heard amazing stories I mean truly amazing stories you've probably heard some stories like them dramatic uh, stories stories of angels turning up physically to protect people in dangerous things dangerous times stories of dramatic healings um, some stuff that we heard was mind-blowing and it do you know what it did to me it made me think well flipping out my story is very dull it's very mundane but let me tell you that some of these amazing stories wonderful and powerful as they can be can leave some people feeling a bit unmoved and untouched because if you've never been caught up in drug dealing or mother or murder, murdered your mother-in-law and had seven wives or something like that it's a story that doesn't actually connect with your everyday life and your experience and what you know but you see your story for your circle of friends, for your neighbours, for your work colleagues, for your family, that's going to connect. And it will be interesting because they know you. You see? Even when we think we're not going to tell our story because it's not interesting, it will be. You don't have to have a dramatic story. I remember once, um, I think it was when our son was being baptised, and in his little testimony bit, he basically said, I haven't really got a very interesting story. I mean, they're my parents. It was, it was likely that it was going to happen like this, wasn't it, really? And that's kind of what it was. And I thought, well, fair enough. Um, but the next person who asked for baptism, asked for baptism on the back of the fact that they thought they didn't really have that much of a story to tell. And they'd heard him say, well, kind of, I've not known anything different. And they went, actually, this could be for me then. Because I don't think I have, but I've not made that step. Do you see? Your stories are powerful beyond what you can imagine. So we sometimes don't tell our stories because we think we haven't got one. Or we think maybe our story isn't very interesting. Or we just think maybe it's not really relevant. It's not really relevant because, do you know what? Um, we've got to be able to understand so much more. We need to be able to come up to, with some explanation of, 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 to, 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 the, to align the things to do with science and religion and all that kind of stuff. I've got to be able to come up with some idea as an answer to why suffering happens in the world. My story isn't relevant when, it, when I face these great big issues that seem that I don't understand and I can't work out. But do you know what? Um, I just think people genuinely are not wanting to know if Christianity is true or if any other faith is really. They're not really bothered with the evidence that suggests whether Jesus was the son of God because for many that comes so much later down the line. What people really want to know is what's going to make a difference in my life. How am I going to find some peace and some strength? How am I going to find something that might transform what I know is burdening me at the moment? That's what they want to know. What's going to work? How might I find those things in my ordinary, 
life and living. And the best way to let them know that, the very best way to let them know that, is for them to hear your story of how Jesus has made a difference in your life. When things were tough, when you didn't have peace, when stuff was really just falling apart. Let's take seriously that if we have heard the call of Jesus to follow him, we are to be a storytelling people. We are to be those who realize the importance of our stories, to realize its interest and its relevance to the people around and about us. And we, sh- we need to become more ready to share stories with others, with one another, even within church life, to share the stories of what God's doing of what we sense Jesus has been working on with us in the week and that kind of stuff. Because if all we ever talk about when we're together is rotors and lists and events, that is what we're going to become, God forbid. This week, I wonder, this week, might I dare you, I dare you, to endeavour to tell your story to somebody Now, I don't mean like going outside now saying I'll get this over and done with at the beginning of the week so I don't have to think about it and just snatching anyone and going, by the way, I just need to tell you about Jesus because I've been dead at church to do it. I mean that we might come at it a little bit more prayerfully than that. But I dare you to deliberately pray this week that you will be given opportunity to share something of your story of what Jesus has done with somebody who doesn't yet know him. I don't know who that will be. Maybe you don't know who that will be. But I dare you to pray the prayer so that next week, when maybe somebody says, is there anything that God's done this week or you've sent Jesus away, you might, we'll have stories to share. We'll have stories to share of what it was like to share our stories with people who don't know him. And they might not be dramatic stories. It might be just, and I sort of said, well, I went to church and Jesus has done this. It might not be dramatic, but I dare you to pray that you deliberately be able to share your story with somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, I thank you this morning that you are a God who loves us with a love that is beyond our imagining. And from the moment that we mucked it up, your desire has been that we should reconnect with you in the way that you created us to. That we should have a relationship with you that we were created to have. I thank you, Father God, that in sending Jesus, we see how your story of salvation escalates and picks up pace. And we begin to see the truth of who you are, the reality of your love, what it means for us to be human beings in relationship with you. We thank you for the very many ways in which we have heard your call to follow you the ways you have transformed and changed our lives, the stories that we have to tell of what you have done. And so I pray in the power of your Holy Spirit that you will embolden us, that you would fill us with your courage, that we might this week share the story of what you have done with somebody who doesn't yet know you. And that through us, they might begin 
the process and the journey of being able to be connected with you, with all that you are, with your love, your grace, your peace, your forgiveness. Use us, we pray. Use us this week that your kingdom might come for the glory of your name. Amen.